Good evening, everybody. Um, I uh, have the privilege of opening our Wednesday night uh, series uh, for the next couple weeks as Pastor and Miss Charlene are away, uh, and I was tasked with giving a brief update uh, about how things are going. Charlie is doing miserably without Pop Pop. Uh, and so yesterday we were on the way home, and Charlie gets home, and she gets out of the car, and she wants to go see Pop Pop and Neen, and obviously they're not in town, and so she throws herself uh, on the ground, wailing, because she doesn't have Pop Pop anymore. And so um, we've been doing lots of FaceTiming. They're doing well. Uh, they're getting some rest, even over these last uh, just few days. So keep them in prayer uh, over the next few weeks as God is continuing to uh, work in their hearts that... Uh, he would do the work that's needed in their hearts so that they can have uh, continued longevity here as leaders of Rosa Baptist Church. So if you have your Bibles, open to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. And today we're going to be talking about the law regarding uh, the Nazarite, the Nazarite vow. And um, uh, generally in our culture, if we're talking about uh, promises, a pledge, a commitment, an oath, we have a very low uh, expectation uh, for what that means. Um, if I promise uh, somebody something or you've promised somebody something, it's like a general commitment that we plan on fulfilling, um, but it doesn't carry the same strength and power uh, that was intended by the Word uh, when uh, it was Developed And uh, honestly, what we see is that God, here in this passage, as we're talking about uh, a vow, the vow of the Nazarite, we see it as a very, very, very serious commitment, right? Um, it's, not, it's not my diet commitment, right? My diet that's on one day uh, and off the next day as I'm trying to lose, uh, lose some pounds, right? It's not, it's not hey, uh, here, I'm, I'm committed to this for a few days, and then, and then here's my cheat day. What we're talking about here is a level of commitment that we're expecting uh, to, to, exceed, uh, to exceed our expectations. Um, think about it this way. When we talk about uh, the presidential oath of office, when the president comes uh, and gives uh, his oath of office, saying, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. We expect that level of commitment to be a high level of commitment. This isn't just a, a regular promise. This isn't just a regular pledge that we're making. We really hope that this person has our best interest in mind uh, and our best interest at heart. And so typically, when we're referring to a vow, an oath, a promise, a covenant. We have, we have lower expectations that hold lower weight. However, when we put into context uh, what God is talking about here in Numbers chapter 6, uh, what we see is this vow being a binding promise that's made to God. It's a binding promise that's made to God. And, and a lot of times these oaths, these vows that were made to God were uh, for uh, safety or uh, military victory or for their families. Uh, but here today we see this vow of commitment made to God for the service of God. Tonight as we look at the Nazarite vow, I want us to understand the seriousness of this commitment, this vow that's being taken. What those implications were for this individual's life and for this individual's relationships. Numbers chapter 6, verse number 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, 
When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. And the next verse goes into a restriction that is set for those individuals. But to lay some foundation, lay some groundwork, uh, there's some things that we need to know about this Nazarite vow. First off, uh, there's really two types of Nazarite vows. One we see in the lives of Samuel, Samson, uh, and John the Baptist. These were those whose, whose parents made commitments before they were even born that they would be Nazarites and they would be raised that way. Really, uh, it's a lifelong commitment uh, for those individuals. Uh, but that's not what's being expressed here. Here what we're seeing uh, is a Nazarite vow that was voluntary. Uh, it was something, something that someone could walk into uh, committing to vow this vow. Speak unto the children of Israel, verse number 2, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. This is something that was taken voluntarily. Now, uh, as I mentioned, Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist, those were uh, vows that were uh, impressed upon them from birth. But this vow here is a vow that a person, a, children, a child of Israel, had the opportunity to walk into say, I want to further my commitment to the Lord uh, as both a, a, a child, uh, one of the children of Israel, but commitment to service to God. The second thing is, any adult can take this vow. Verse number two again says, when either man or woman shall separate themselves. This was an opportunity for a person, a man or a woman, to, to walk voluntarily into this. There were no uh, gender restrictions here. A man could do it. Uh, a woman could do it. And, and outside of this Nazarite by birth, the passage seems to indicate that the only age restriction is to those who are old enough to make this decision. Those who are old enough to vow this vow themselves. The vow was something that someone must walk into willingly. It was a vow that anyone could walk into willingly. Uh, the third thing to, to lay the foundation is to understand that this vow was for a specific amount of time. Uh, it, it was for a set period. Verse number, uh, verse number 2 says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either a man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow uh, of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. This is the beginning of that vow. Look at verse number four. All the days of his separation. It was a specific period of time. All of those days were accounted here. Uh, Shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk? Verse number five. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be defiled in the which he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of his hair grow uh, upon his head. Verse number six, all the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. Verse number eight says the same thing. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. And then look at verse number 13. Verse number 13 of number six, and this is the law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation are fulfilled. So, uh, understanding the groundwork for this, this vow, this commitment that this, uh, this Israelite was making uh, to become a Nazarite. First off, it was a voluntary vow. They could walk into this uh, voluntarily. It's not something that was imposed upon them. Secondly, anybody uh, could walk into this decision and make uh, this commitment. Uh, and thirdly, it was for a specific period of time. Uh, and at the end of that time, the Nazarite vow was removed and they could go about the life that they 
we're living. And so uh, one of us, the, the big thing that we need to understand walking into this is that this is not uh, a normal type of commitment or promise as we would kind of uh, uh, understand in our culture. This is a vow, a binding vow to the Lord that this individual is making, understanding the consequences. I'm not breaking a promise that I made to my brother. I'm not making a promise I, bro- I, broke to, or I made to my sister. Uh, this is a vow made to the one and holy God. The restrictions that were placed on this individual. Uh, the first thing that you need to know about this vow is that restrictions were placed on them internally, the things that they could consume. Look at verse number three. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even to the husk. I mean, this passage is very, very explicit about uh, abstinence from anything that is grape related, right? Even down to the skin of the grape, don't eat it uh, because in doing so, you would be breaking this vow. And I think really to understand uh, this vow, I think you have to walk through, or this restriction, you have to understand the level at which God holds those that do service to the work of the Lord. Look at, um, if you will take a minute, turn to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verse number 8. Leviticus 10, verse number 8 says, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. So the importance was their ability to put a difference between holy and holy, their ability to put difference between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord had spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Here, uh, even for the priests and the Levites, the command was made to abstain uh, from, from wine, from strong drink. Why? Because what they were doing was delivering the statutes of God. What they were doing was pronouncing the commands of God. They were teaching the law of God. And so Aaron and the Levites also being commanded to stay away. In Proverbs 31, we actually see uh, this command being given to kings. See then that you walk circumspectly. Oh, excuse me. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine. Not for princes strong drinks, lest they drink and forget the law. Lest they drink and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. And wine unto those that be of a heavy heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Here, he's talking about a king and saying, look, uh, if you are, if you are uh, controlled by this substance, understand that the judgment that you're making could be compromised. The law that you're trying to fulfill, you could forget. Um, he's putting a huge emphasis on the king's sobriety, the king's ability to rightly judge the people that God has given him to command. Um, believers uh, in Ephesians 5, we see, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not wise, unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Um, understand the, the, the big uh, thing that we're seeing here is that this thing that God is calling them to step, step away from is something that has the ability to control their life, something that has the, the ability to, to uh, manipulate uh, and, and control them. And as believers, we're responsible to stay away from things that have the power to control us. That's why the Bible warns of drunkenness. That's why the Bible warns of hatred. That's why the Bible warns of lust, of envy, of jealousy. Uh, not allowing things to control us. Why? Because we're to be controlled by the Spirit. We're to be controlled by our Lord and Savior. For the Nazarite, distinction in this area was critical. Those who were dedicated to the work of God were to remain abstinent from alcohol. The, the command was extended all of the way to this, even the skin uh, of the grave. The service uh, that they were coming, committing to required seriousness. It required commitment. Uh, they couldn't be swept away by something that could control them. And um, honestly, as we look at this passage, really, we just we have to step away and understand that the, the internal uh, consumption of things that can control us, uh, it's important that uh, we're careful with the things that we allow to influence us. That, that as we're committing our lives to a life of service to God, that we understand that our, our service is to Him and is to be controlled by Him and is to be controlled by His Spirit. So internally, they were to be separate, but they were also to be separate externally. Verse number 5 says of Numbers chapter 6, All the days of the vow of His separation, there, were, there shall no razor come upon His head until the days be fulfilled in the which He separated Himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hairs of his head grow. Listen, there, there was supposed to be an obvious difference, a visible difference that's clearly seen uh, in this Nazarite. Uh, he was to let his hair grow so that those that saw him understood the commitment that he had made. Um, John the Baptist was a Nazarite, right? And he was, he was one of those that was a Nazarite by birth. And when we look at the book of Matthew and the introduction of John the Baptist, um, he was a wild child, right? Uh, he was dressed in camel's hair with this leather girdle, and he ate locusts and honey, right? We, we're like, man, this dude, is, this dude is nuts. But there's like this obvious difference in this person that is, that is preaching to these individuals, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His message was different. Um, but as people are walking up to hear him, there is an obvious difference in who this individual is. There, it was visible. It was clearly seen. And as New Testament believers, our commitment is not to longer or shorter hair. Our commitment isn't to formal or trendy clothes. Our commitment is externally is to be a visible representation of the grace of God. That, that the life that we live should pour out the fruit of the Spirit. That when people look at us, they see the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering that the Spirit produces within us. When people look at you, when people see you, when, when, when you're talking to people that are in your circle, do they see the evidence of the Spirit in your life? Is it visible? Is it clearly seen? It was imperative that the person taking the Nazarite vow not only stay away from consuming things that could control him, but also that he could have a, a specific marker that would set him apart visibly. Uh, restriction number three, they were to separate from death. Look at verse number 6 of Numbers chapter 6. 
All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean uh, for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die because the consecration of God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. Uh, man, this was a very real restriction for the Nazarites. And it really sets up uh, the, the level of commitment that this person has to make. Because even in the event of their father, even in the event of their mother, even in the event of a sibling, they were not able to take part in the, in the services or the ceremonies that surrounded their death because they had to remain separate from that. They had to remain away from that. Man, that's a serious commitment. Understand those implications. Understand what happens to a person's life when they dedicate themselves wholly to God under these circumstances. Not allowing things to control their life, but being controlled by the Spirit. That, that they set them apart visibly so that when people see them, they recognize the vow and commitment that they've taken. And at the end of the day, realizing that even their family, because of their commitment and service to God, wasn't enough to step away from the commitment that they had made. Uh, now, verses 9 through 12 gives, give us a little uh, exception here. Like, what if the person next to you falls down dead? Then what happens? Uh, and here we see that the, the, really the beginning uh, of this commitment time starts over. Verse number 9, And if any man die very suddenly by him, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he shave it, and on the eighth day he shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make an atonement for him that he, for he that sinned by the dead and shall hallow his head that same day. And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost. Basically what we're saying here is like, look, uh, during the time that you've made this vow, this Nazarite vow to the Lord, you must fulfill these restrictions or you must abide by these restrictions during the entire term. Right? If, if someone were to die next to you uh, and you were to become defiled or unclean, it starts over. You're 30 days into your commitment and the person that you're sitting next to passes away, well, those 30 days are wiped away and your commitment begins again. This restriction takes this vow to a whole new level. You're, you're telling me that if I lost one of my family members, that I couldn't go uh, to their funeral. These restrictions gave a grave uh, seriousness to this commitment, this vow that they were making. They viewed service to the Lord as greater than any of their impulses. They viewed service to the Lord as greater than any outward display. And they even viewed the service to their Lord as greater than their commitment to their own family. How do you view your service? How do you view your commitment to the Lord? Is it something that you can turn on and turn off? Is it something that, well, I'll do it this week, but not next week? Is it, hey, I'll give uh, to the Lord today, but, but next week, I don't, I don't know about this week. 
Is it, hey, the talents that God's given me, I'm offering them to, to, to the Lord to use uh, at His will, and then the next day pulling them away? Understand here, the Nazarites did not have that opportunity. They're making this vow uh, in the seriousness and gravity of the situation, understanding that, yes, this is something that I'm walking into uh, willingly. Yes, I know that there's a specific amount of time, but the commitment that I'm making is to be distinct internally, to be distinct externally, and that nothing can come between my commitment, my vow to God. So the foundation of the vow, um, anybody could do it. It was voluntary, uh, and there was a specific amount of time. Uh, the, the restrictions of the vow, there were some things that they couldn't do, some things they couldn't partake in. Uh, ultimately, God wanted the control to be himself and not external influences. Externally, they were to be a, a visual representation, a visible representation uh, of what God uh, was doing uh, in their life by, by not cutting their hair. If someone were to see them, they would understand the vow that they had taken. And then they were to separate from death, staying away from things that could defile them uh, and separate them from their service to God. And the vow concludes uh, in the presence of a priest. Look at verse number 13. And this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he shall offer his offering unto the Lord, one he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb for the first year without blemish for a sin offering, and one ram without blemish for peace offerings, and a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of flour mingled with oil, and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their meat offering, and their drink offerings, and the priest shall bring them before the Lord and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall offer his meat offering and his drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave the head of his, his separation at the door of the tabernacle of congregation. He shall take the hair of his head uh, of his separation and put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. This is holy for the priest with the wave breast and the heave shoulder. And after that, the Nazarite might drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite who hath vowed and of his offering unto the Lord for his separation Besides that, uh, his hand shall get according to the vow which he vowed, so he must do after the law of his separation. Here, what we see is a, a person who is committed uh, to cry, uh, to, committed to God. He is he has made a vow to God. He is separating himself. He is voluntary, ma voluntarily making uh, this commitment. He's doing it for a specific amount of time. He's saying, "I'm going to abstain from from grapes." I'm going to abstain, abstain from wine during this time. I, I'm going to let my, my hair grow out as a visible representation of the vow that I'm making. And, and those things that could defile me, I will stay away from during this time that I've committed my service to the Lord. And during that time, he serves the Lord. He follows through with his commitment. He maintains those restrictions. And at the end of the day, as he comes before the priest and he comes to this final celebration, this final ceremony, what he realizes is that he still has to offer the offering. That, that those restrictions that he held, 
uh, weren't good enough uh, to, to, to forgive him. That, that the, the, the things that he did, the service to the Lord, it was just filthy rags. The, the hair that he grew out, he cuts it and puts it in the, in the fire and it's burned up. Understand that this commitment that he made while in service to God, he recognizes that there's still something more that needed to be done. There's something more that needed to happen. And so the concluding ceremony of the Nazarite uh, involved the sacrificial offerings, a burnt offering for consecration, a sin offering for purification, and a peace offering for celebration. But at the very end, it wasn't the individual who acknowledged the completion of the vow, but it was the priest. Listen, as believers, we're called to carry a very similar vow. It's, it's not, a, not a diet commitment that's on and off again, that we, that we do and don't do, but it's a serious vow. It's a commitment to service. It's a commitment to His service. Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that, that ye, um, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Uh, is there a greater commitment that can be made? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's, it's only reasonable that you offer your body a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, a con- uh, just conforming yourself to, to a set of morals and uh, a, a system of morality isn't enough. There needs to be true transformation in your life, true transformation in your heart by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 2 Timothy 1 says, Be not therefore uh, thou ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As an obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We have this same calling to commitment in the New Testament that we receive from Paul who says, hey, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Live your lives holy and acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. Understand that God's calling us to be holy as He is holy. And as we walk into these things, we realize that it's not something that you can live out on your own, but it's only through the grace of God that you have the ability to fulfill what He's called you to do. Because of this vow, we should be aware that the things that are grabbing at us and trying to control us, uh, that we need to remove those and get rid of those. Why? We must be controlled and filled by the Spirit. Because of this vow, we should commit to living out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives in a way that is, that is visible, that's clearly seen, that the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, that, that your coworkers, that the people within your circle of influence are visibly seeing the Holy Spirit alive in your life. 
Because of this vow and this commitment, uh, we should commit to leave that which is dead, our trespasses and sins, and you have the quickened who are dead in your trespasses and sins, and, and pursue that which is alive, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all be made alive. The Nazarites, they, they, made, they made these vows. They had these restrictions, this, this, this uh, purpose to be distinct uh, internally in what they allowed to control them. This purpose to be distinct externally in the way that uh, the, 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 the Holy Spirit was living out uh, in their lives. They, they, they showed that through, through growing out their hair and distinct and separate from that which was dead, that which could defile Him. And we as believers in the New Testament church should be exactly the same, that we are distinct in what we allow to control us. That the Holy Spirit is alive and well and living inside of you. And that, that the Spirit uh, is producing visible works that can be clearly seen within you. That you're, that you're staying separate from that which is dead, the trespasses and sins that you were once enslaved to, and that you're living a life committed to the One who is alive, the One who saved you. The culmination of the Nazarite vow is before a high priest. And, and uh, I stand here telling you today that the culmination of your life will be to stand before a high priest as well. That one day, you're going to be standing before the throne of God. And one day, you're going to have to answer uh, for the life that you lived. And I'm, I'm glad that the culmination of my life will be to stand before God's throne as my great high priest reads my name from the Lamb's Book of Life. Not based on my merits, but based on... On the, but based on my great high priest who offers his own blood for my justification. As I stand before my God and King, I'll truly understand for the first time that everything in my life was by Him and for Him and that the trinkets of my good works that I attempted to live out in my life were pale in comparison to the crimson blood that Jesus spilled at Calvary. The life that we live in commitment to Jesus isn't because we're trying to merit and earn our good works. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, but what we understand is that we live lives in commitment to Him because of what He has done for us. And at the end of the day, at the end of our commitment, we stand before our high priest, we stand before our king, acknowledging that very fact that what we do in our lives is only through the grace of Jesus Christ the only the, the good things that are produced in our life, the fruit of the Spirit that's lived out in our lives, what, what God chooses to do because uh, of our obedience to Him is only by the grace of God. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged and, and a little scared for that day when I stand before my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Understanding that, man, I, 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 I love you so much, God, and the, the opportunity that I had to serve you and, and, and commit my life to you, knowing that it, it only pales in the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. The culmination of this Nazarite's vow, to stand before the priest who offered the sacrifice on his behalf. We have a God... We have a Savior 
who offers that same sacrifice on our behalf. Not, not of animals, not, of, not a, a meat offering or a drink offering, but of His own blood. His own blood. I, I like the very last part of this passage. It seems uh, somewhat disconnected, but it's, it's the end of this section in Numbers, and uh, it's really a blessing that God uh, calls onto uh, the children of Israel. And so I'd like to read it today, uh, not as uh, a blessing on them, but praying that God would bless us uh, in this manner. The Lord bless thee, verse number 24, and keep thee. Rosedale, the Lord make His face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Rosedale, I pray that the Lord would lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace. As we as we study this passage about the Nazarite vow, we have to understand the implications uh, of this commitment on this individual's life, uh, on its relationships, that a lot of things in their life during this period of time that they were making this vow uh, could have been quite difficult. Uh, and as, as believers in the New Testament church, we're called uh, by, by God's Word to make this same commitment that, that you and I would offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, that we would live holy lives, that we would be controlled by the Spirit, that the Spirit would live out uh, its fruit in us, that others would see that visibly and clearly, that we would uh, keep ourselves removed from that which is dead, our sins, our trespasses, that we would pursue Jesus Christ. And I hope that you too are encouraged that at the end of the day, uh, as we stand before God, that it's truly the merit of Jesus that, that gives us our justification. It's not what you have to uh, show God, look at these things that I did. Look at these small little trinkets that I have to offer you. But, but here's the blood of Jesus that paid the penalty for my sin. That gives me a relationship with you. So I encourage you today, make this commitment. Serve the Lord out of the grace that He's given you. Uh, understanding truly all that He has done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the opportunity that we have to study Your Word. And uh, as we continue in the book of Numbers, God, I pray that You would continue to be honored, that You'd continue to be glorified. As we walk into the next chapter and the next verse, uh, that You would continue to uh, open up Your Word to our hearts, that, that it would impact our lives, and that those that hear Your Word, that their lives would be changed because of it. God, through this, uh, this Nazarite vow, we see truly this individual's commitment to you, but understand that uh, a life full of commitment is not enough uh, if it's not done to the power of Jesus Christ uh, and if that life is not changed to the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that today, if there's anybody in this room that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that, that you would convict their heart, that they would talk to, to me, that they would talk to uh, one of the leaders in our church, and that we would have an opportunity to share with them how they can know that they have a relationship with you. God, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you do and have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.